Right, the reading this morning is from Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 and verse 22 to 34. And it'll come up on the screen if you uh, haven't got your Bible with you. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravings. They do not sow or reap. They have no storehouse, storeroom, or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more of much more value are you than the birds? Who, by worrying, um, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, uh, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. I was reading uh, this week a story from America of a federal district judge. At a closing down sale, um, his wife found the perfect green tie to match one of her husband's sports jackets. A little later, the couple were on holiday, relaxing at a resort to get his mind off a complicated cocaine case that was coming up. He was wearing his jacket and his new tie, when suddenly he noticed a small round disc had been sewn into the tie. He thought this suspicious, so he called the local FBI, and they thought it suspicious as well. So they sent the tie to FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. He thought maybe someone had a listening device sewn into the tie so they could, maybe one of the defendant's uh, um, conspirators, so that they could find out what he was saying and thinking about the case. He anxiously waited, and after a while, he phoned the FBI headquarters in Washington 
and asked them what they thought of it. And eventually he got through to one of the head guys and he said, well, we're not sure, to be honest, the origin of it, but we have noticed something quite interesting. When you press it, it plays jingle bells. <laughs> Isn't it strange the things we worry about? I'm sure that story is a bit apocryphal, but it illustrates the point that we worry sometimes about all kinds of things. But we worry about serious things as well. The war in Ukraine has caused a huge wave of anxiety across the world. Not only fear of World War III, but fear of rising prices, fear of global recession. And because young people carry phones today that bring world news right into their hands, they've been anxious and worried as well. I've had several of my grandchildren asking me, is there going to be a nuclear war? Are we all going to die? They're anxious and worried. It's impacted children as never before. Now, I want to say this morning that God knows that sometimes we worry about things. That's why in Luke 12, Jesus talks about worry. Jesus lists some of the things that we worry about. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. And then he says, first of all, what you will eat. You might think most people don't worry about what they will eat. But you'd be wrong if you think that. You might have heard of the Trussell Trust. They produce food parcels for the needy. In one year, they produced over 1,182,000 three-day emergency food supplies which were given to people in crisis. And amazingly, 436,000 were given to children. The Trussell Trust, just one of many organizations, has 420 food banks in the UK. But it's not just poverty about food uh, that people, not, sorry, let me say again, not just people in poverty that worry about food. Do you remember at the beginning of the pandemic? You couldn't buy a toilet roll or a bag of pasta or anything like that anywhere on, in a supermarket. The shelves were completely bare because even people who weren't in poverty panicked that they wouldn't have enough to eat. So they went out and stocked up with ridiculous amounts causing shortages for us all. Jesus said we worry about what we will eat. Then he said we worry about what we will wear. He added about your body what you will wear. Now Jean and I were blessed with four daughters and when they were all living at home 
we had a morning little ritual. You see, in our bedroom, our wardrobe had full-length mirror doors. So every morning, one after the other, they'd come in and what they were thinking of wearing that day, and they'd have a look at themselves, this angle and that, in the, in the mirror doors of the wardrobe, and they'd have a look uh, across, always to their mum, never to me, because they knew that I have a very limited um, kind of fashion style, and you'll have recognised that, but I, I'm, a, uh, 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 I'm an ascriber of Winston Churchill's dictum, when you get something where you want it, it's best to leave it where it is. So that's where I am. But um, they'd ask their mother, um, do I look okay in this? Um, is my bottom too big in this? And things like that. And then that one would go out and another one would come in and the same ritual every morning when they were getting ready for work. They were worrying about what they were going to wear. And it's not just ladies that are like that sometimes, either is it men. We worry too, Jesus said, about our future. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Now, some people get confused here because in some renderings of this, in other Gospels, it says add a cubit to your height. There's, the Greek is possible to translate it different ways here. Um, the Greeks often talked in terms of adding to life uh, with the same words of adding to height. And um, in Matthew 6.27, uh, sometimes the word stature can be translated span of life. So it's just a technical thing. But whichever way it's meant, the meaning is the same. We cannot, by worrying, add a cubit, the authorized version says, that's about 17 inches, to our height or a single hour to our lives. Worrying doesn't do anything good for us at all. But there are people who worry about how long they're going to live, worry about their health. They're afraid of death. Some people don't want to get on an aeroplane in case it crashes. My wife's one of them. Some are afraid of diseases and go from doctor to doctor. They live in constant fear about their lives and the future. Little commercial break for my allergies. Okay, commercial's over. <laughs> I love the story. There, there was a, a well-known archbishop uh, called Archbishop Trent. I think he was 19th century. And uh, he went through a period in his life where he worried terribly about his health. And at one point, he suddenly thought that he was in fear uh, that his arms and legs would become numb and useless and that he'd be a cripple. And he, he thought he'd lose all the feeling in them for some reason. And one evening, he was one of the guests at a state dinner. And he was sitting there and all of a sudden, he blurted out, oh, it's finally happened. It's finally happened. I haven't a bit of feeling in my right leg. The lady sitting 
next to him said, Your Grace, if it's any comfort to you, it's my leg you're pinching, not yours. <laughs> we worry about our health, don't we? When I was thinking about this, uh, what Jesus said about um, worrying about our future and about our, our health, an old hymn came to mind and it says, God holds the key to all unknown and I am glad. If other hands should hold that key or if he trusted it to me, I might be sad. God holds the key to your future and mine. He numbers our days. God is in control of your life. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. But he knows that sometimes we do. That's why he said it. Then Jesus talks about value. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. I've been a pastor a lot of years before I retired. And I want to tell you, a lot of people worry that God's forgotten them. In any crisis or problem, they think, God's forgotten me. He doesn't know where I am or what's going on in my life. But Jesus says God doesn't even forget a sparrow that falls to the ground. How can he forget you if you belong to him? You're one of his children for whom Christ died. In Isaiah 49 verse 14 it says, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. The Lord says, can a woman forget her nursing child or let compassion for the son of her womb? Even if she could forget, I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Jesus said the very hairs of our head are all numbered. Because I, I, I'm quoting a little bit here from parallel passages as well in Matthew 6. It's been said that redheads have about 90,000 hairs on their head. Dark-haired person has about 120,000 hairs, but a blonde has about 145,000 hairs. And some wit said, that's, they're given more on the outside, they've got less on the inside, but that's not fair and that's not true. Okay, the color of your hair has nothing to do with your intelligence. Say that quickly as I've got a daughter who's blonde. Um, yet God knows right now exactly <laughs> how many hairs on your head. I just looked up and was thinking he's got an easy job with you, James. <laughs> Sorry about that. I can say that about my son-in-law as he teases me enough. Isn't that astounding? If that's true, and of course it's true, Jesus said it. That means God is aware of you every second of your life. I'm at that stage in life when I, every time I comb my hair, I'm losing more and more of it. Getting a nice little monk spot up there, my wife tells me. I'm in denial, but that means that God is constantly, because the number of hairs on our head are changing all the time, and if God knows how many hairs are on my head, 
God knows what's going on in my life every second of every day. That's amazing, isn't it? Then Jesus says, For after all these things the nations of the world seek. Jesus contrasted the life of those who do not know God and are separated from him with those who do know God and receive his loving care. Spurgeon says this, You say again that you cannot help being anxious. Then, my dear friend, I must very solemnly ask you, what is the difference between you and the man of the world? That's challenging, isn't it? God says, don't worry. Jesus gives some reasons why we should be different. Verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves, etc., etc. One commentary says, verse 32 contains one of the best examples of mixed metaphors in all of literature. However, Jesus didn't make a mistake. I believe he intentionally employed a mixed metaphor to teach us a profound lesson about the character of God. Jesus, in that opening verse of 32, switches metaphors again and again. He speaks of sheep because he talks about a flock, then of a father, then of a kingdom. Three different metaphors. Let's have a look at them briefly um, before we close. Jesus talked about sheep. Now, sheep have a shepherd. Jesus employs the metaphor of a flock of sheep. Luke 12 and Matthew 10, 16 are parallel passages. In Luke, he calls his disciples a little flock. If we're a flock of sheep, that makes the Lord our shepherd. In fact, David knew this, didn't he? He was a, a shepherd himself, but he knew that God was his shepherd because he wrote Psalm 23. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. Have you ever wondered why we're most often compared to sheep in the Bible? One writer said, a real life shepherd once said that sheep display three unique characteristics. They are dumb, they are directionless, and they are defenseless. When Jean and I first took up our pastorate in the Rhonda Valley in South Wales, we, sheep were allowed to wander in those days wherever they wanted to. They were never fenced in, they were not made to fence in, and later on they brought in a, a law that made them, the farmers fence them in because they would walk down the streets, you couldn't drive up them, they'd be in your gardens, they'd be everywhere. Sheep wander. I remember when Sarah was just a very small little baby, uh, it was a nice day and my wife was working in the kitchen, so she um, put Sarah in the pram just outside the kitchen door so she'd get some fresh air and right next to our sort of lean-to shed. 
And uh, she was cleaning away in the kitchen, just peeked out to see how she was doing. And there was a sheep on top of the shed roof, right above, on the slanted bit, right above where the pram was. She'd never seen her move so quick to get Sarah and that pram inside. And she said, I hate to think what would happen if that sheep had slipped off that shed roof. But it didn't, thank God. Sheep wander everywhere. And they often get lost. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. Without Christ, we are dumb, directionless, and defenseless. Just like sheep, we need a shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd, as well as our saviour. He seeks and saves, the Bible says, those who are lost. Luke 19.10. Matthew 9.36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep, without a shepherd. The Bible uses the word lost to describe a person without Jesus. We learn in Luke 15 that God is like a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, but one wanders away. He leaves the 99 safe and sets out to find the one that is astray. That's how much God cares for us. He says, don't worry, I'm your shepherd, your good shepherd. Then he talks about the father. He changes the metaphor. The Lord's Prayer teaches us that God is our heavenly father. Now, we don't often grasp this because we've been brought up in a Christian uh, kind of um, worldview. But this was absolute revolutionary thinking in Judaistic terms uh, and in, um, the, with the intimacy, at least, that Jesus brought about. In fact, uh, one writer says that this is still revolutionary in lots of religions. Um, to quote, he says, you won't find God portrayed as a father in Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, or any other isms. In the teachings of Jesus, he referred to God as father more than any other figure. And he didn't call God father by the formal word pater. In Greek, he used the word Abba, which means papa, or if you like, daddy, a very in intimate term for God. It's the Aramaic word for intimate endearment. My wife and I like to watch a little program on TV called Dragon's Den. Has anyone ever seen it? And uh, it's about people pitching their businesses to business tycoons in the hope of getting investment. Recently, they had a young lady um, on and uh, she said that her parents told her she'd never amount to anything much. And uh, one of the dragons said to her, well, I expect they're proud of you now. And she said, I wouldn't know, I haven't seen them for years. And 
just remind me that sadly a lot of people don't have the best role model in their parents. A lot of people today who don't have good role models. But I want to tell you this morning, whether you've had a good role model or not, God, your heavenly Father, loves you with all his being. Listen to these scriptures. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. John 14, 23. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will come to him, and we will make our home with him. 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The old song said, about love said, looking for love in all the wrong places, and so many people today are doing that. The Bible says God is love. And if we belong to him, he's our heavenly father. And if he's our heavenly father who loves us like the Bible says he does, then we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be anxious. Then Jesus finally talks about a king. Verse 32, your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. According to verse 31, the best way to deal with the worry is to seek God's kingdom. To have a kingdom, you have to have a king. And God is a mighty king. In Isaiah chapter 6 we read, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. James Merritt, um, writing on this, says, there are certain dates we never forget. 7th of December 1941 is, it's common knowledge, it's the date of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. On November the 22nd, 1963, President John F. Kennedy was shot in Dallas, Texas. Mention the numbers 9-11. Reminds us 2001, each of us can recall a memory that stands out ominously above all others when we witnessed the destruction of the Twin Towers in New York. The prophet Isaiah had a memorable date, he says, like that in his life. He simply called it in the year that King Isaiah died. King Isaiah had a long reign, 52 years. It didn't end so well as the rest of it, but basically before he got a bit too proud, he was a good king. You know, the throne was empty, and Isaiah worried about who would fill it. At that very moment, he saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. Suddenly, everything else he was worried about was put into a new perspective. God reigned. Jesus summarized Isaiah's vision in John 12, 41. He said, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. A lady called City, a 
Kitty, sorry, Suffield, wrote a hymn about God's throne. We used to sing it when I was young. God is still on the throne. And he will remember his own. Though trials may press us and burdens distress us, he never will leave us alone. God is still on the throne. He never forsaketh his own. His promise is true. He will not forget you. God is still on the throne. Let me conclude. I started off talking this morning about the anxiety of so many about the war in Ukraine and the danger people think of the consequences of escalation. I think a good Bible verse, to, a rather a good Bible book even, to read at this time is the book of Daniel. Because the key verse to the book of Daniel is found in chapter 4, verse 17. And it says this, So that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. God is still sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. God is still on the throne. He reigns supreme over all, over all nations, over all our problems, over our lives. The one who picks us up, who cares for us, who we run to in our need, is the great shepherd, our loving father, and our reigning king. So Jesus says, do not worry. Do not be anxious. Let's pray. Our Father God, we want to say thank you for just coming to us in our anxieties and fears and Lord reminding us that because you're our Heavenly Father, we don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious. That Lord, you hold our lives in the hollow of your hand. You know our past, our present and our future. And we're safe in you. Lord, I just pray that peace will fill our hearts and our lives this morning. And we will renew our faith and our trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.